everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Stefan Wintermeyer. Hi, Did I everybody. Get anywhere close on saying your name? No, actually, the first part was perfect. Um, just uh, the last name is Wintermeyer, uh, but uh, Stefan was very good. Awesome. Um, do you want to just uh, introduce yourself, talk about who you are, where you work, what you do? Okay. Um, yeah, again, my, na my name is Stefan Wintermeyer. Uh, I'm from Germany. Um, I am a um, freelancer. I mostly do um, Ruby and um, Elixir consulting, uh, most times performance-related um, stuff. Um, and um, yeah, web performance stuff too. Um, so that's, awesome. that's me. That's me. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So which do you like better, Ruby or Elixir? Ooh, that's, that, <laughs> that, that's a nice icebreaker. Um, yeah. Ooh, ooh. Mm, mm. Um, I want to say that it doesn't matter what I like best, but what has the biggest community, and the biggest community has uh, Ruby and Rails. Mm -hmm. So... Um, in my opinion, um, you, you have to have documentation, you have to have a community, you, you, you want to have a Stack Overflow uh, crowd, you can ask. So that is key. Um, but uh, I do like Phoenix. Um, but bread and butter for me is Ruby and Rails. Right. And I, I, I like both. It's just that Phoenix has a lot of features which are incredibly cool and it, it is just speed-wise, it, it's just incredibly fast. No, that makes sense. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a host on both our Ruby and our Elixir shows. So, Oh, okay. So yeah, uh, maybe we'll have to have you on the Elixir podcast. We'll talk about that afterward, but... Uh, Anyway, um, usually I start out this interview by asking people how they got into programming. So let's go ahead and change uh, direction a little bit and talk about that. How did you get into programming? Um, how did I get? Okay, my first computer was a ZX81. Um, and um, I had the extra RAM, which was 16 KB. Ooh. Um, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, and, and that cost a fortune. <laughs> I um, know. So that's, that, that was my beginning. I Obviously, I started with basic, and then 
I don't know. What How old were you? Language. Uh, about eight, maybe uh-huh. maybe seven. About eight, probably probably eight, eight mm-hmm. nine. Yeah. Um, so I started pretty early, um, and then uh, I don't know what what was next. Probably Pascal, um, and then all sorts of different programming languages. I never um, did much with uh, Assembler. Uh, I tried, but just, I don't know, wasn't my thing. And um, I'm programming Ruby now for probably a little bit more than 10 years. Gotcha. So so you get, I just want to back up. So you got into basic and then you did some Pascal. Um, did you go to school and get a degree in computer science or? Nope, nope, no, 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 no. Nope. So, so how did you get to be a professional program writer? people paid money <laughs> that's usually how it works isn't it yeah so you know i just i don't know why um i it's 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 a tough question to to answer um i just it's for me it's fun um uh-huh. so i really like to um solve problems with software i'm i'm a software guy i don't like hardware very much um so i'm i'm really a software guy um and uh, it just happened and uh, it um, it paid the rent pretty pretty soon i i got my first or yeah my first programming gig as a as a student was uh, I, I'm not sure, but I was about 12 years old and um, made, uh, uh, for that time, a lot of money with, with programming um, as a student. And then it just, um, it just happened. Uh, but I, I, I did other stuff too. So I, I, did, um, I had a travel agency um, um, and then I, I, I went back to programming. So I changed... Uh, topics between travel and um, computer um, software um, all the time. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting too, though, that, uh, you know, you're, you're saying that you were 12 or maybe, a, you know, a little bit older when you had somebody pay you for the first time to write code. And it's funny how that changes the whole equation, right? All of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, you know. I yeah, but, you know, you know, you know, it was a different time. Um, yeah. it, it's just uh, for today's kids, it's it's a totally different ball oh, game. Oh, totally. Um, so it's I'm I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> You're not that old, are you? No, but you know, com- compared with the, with the young kids, if I see all the young kids who start today and how good they are, how fast they are, then. Uh, I, I I am a dinosaur. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, to that degree. Um, yeah, some of the kids that are coming out of high school or college now, they they're more internet natives than you and I are. Yeah, definitely. Because the internet went mainstream when I was in high school, and yeah. you know, and so it was it was a different thing because it. I mean, we didn't have smartphones or anything like that, and they're all growing up with it. So, yeah. You know, our first computers didn't have network. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we, we, my 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 first computer did, didn't even have um, a storage device. 
um, I my first storage device was a, a, a tape recorder, uh, which I had to buy. Um, mm-hmm. So um, the first computer I had to um, not switch it off, or when I switch it off and switch it on again, I had to retype everything. Um, so right. it's quite a different game. Yeah, my first computer, my dad came home, and it was funny because the thing he was most excited about was that it had a color monitor, (laughs) (laughs) right? And uh, it was an 8088, I think, uh, processor in it. And, uh, you know, we had all these text-based games and stuff. But, yeah, no internet, no network whatsoever. Yeah. But, yeah. So, so anyway, so you got into programming, people start paying you to write code. Um, how did you find Ruby? I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think it was some talk from DHH. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the 15 minute um, blog post thing, but I'm oh, not hundred yeah. percent sure. Um, I remember that Rails was a totally different thing there. We, we, there were no migrations. There was less magic. Um, Rails was so much um, younger uh, than today, uh, but uh, it impressed me. Um, and those days I used PHP for web pages and um, Rails was just um, an eye-opener. But it took me quite a time, uh, quite some time to 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 understand um, Ruby, because coming from PHP, um, I saw Ruby code and I thought that I understand it, but I really didn't. And um, it took me quite some time to understand that to become a good Rails programmer, I'd have to learn Ruby first. And so I did that. Um, and yeah. So that's probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because a lot of people, I mean, 10 years ago, that's a little bit after I got into Ruby. But, you know, most of that time people were getting into Ruby and saying, this is so intuitive and I can look at it and I just know what it does. And, and you're saying that you, you know, you kind of had to work for that. And I think, I think we kind of go through waves of that, right? So when I got into Rails, initially it was like, wow, this is really nice. And it, you know, it does feel very intuitive. And then, you know, you run into some roadblock where you realize, oh, I don't have as good a grasp on what's going on here as I thought. And so then you start diving into Ruby and you figure some stuff out and you're like, oh, okay, they're doing these kinds of things with Ruby. And then you back up and you're like, okay, I'm getting it now. You know, it's still very intuitive. And then you run into something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's my journey. Um, and then I, I wrote, I wrote a, a book about Ruby and Rails. Um, the first one was about Ruby and Rails 3.2, I think. Um, and um, that was a big um, milestone for me too, because if you start writing documentation, you really have to dive into stuff to... Um, right. To, for me, it's always important to find the most simple solution um, to teach uh, something. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I hate those books where they build one big Twitter clone uh, for, let's say, <laughs> you know, f- let's say 500 pages, a Twitter clone from the beginning to the end. 
um, I hate those books because, um, um, you know, a book is like a piece of software. You always have a bug somewhere. It's, that's, yeah. just, that's part of the game. So, you know, you have a 500-page book and there are a couple of bugs in there. And then if you, if you follow that book from the first page to the, to the last page and you stumble across that bug and you are learning at that moment, you have little chance to figure out what is wrong. And then you are, you are lost because um, the book is one app, so you, you cannot jump through that. And because it's, it's on paper, there are no updates for that. Right. Um, so what I like with my books is um, doing for each chapter or for each section an own minimal application. Uh, so I always start from the ground. Um, and that makes it possible that people um, don't have to read every chapter. So if they don't, for example, if they, for whatever reason, don't like testing, they can just skip testing. No problem. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue with them. They want to learn rates and I don't, I'm not there to, to, to start a religious war. Right. Um, so um, that's my, that's my way of writing books. Um, keeping examples as atomic as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. So how much, how much training have you done versus writing code and, and things like that? The training is, is always been in, in waves. Like there are years where I do a lot of trainings and then there are mm-hmm. years where I do none at all. And I never understand, well, I've never understood why. Um, it's, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, sometimes companies ask for trainings and then other companies follow, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then other years, nothing at all. Um, it's, again, it's in, in waves. Now, have you done training in both Ruby and Elixir? Uh, just in Ruby. Just in Ruby. Because I was yeah. going to ask if you thought that Ruby or Elixir would be easier to teach. That's a good one. And it, to be honest, after such a long time using Ruby, Elixir was very hard for me. Very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it still is today, switching wise. Like if I have, um, I have a hard time to ch- switch between projects back and forth, where one project is Ruby and the other project is right. Elixir. Again, Elixir looks easy, but it isn't. Uh, it is. It is a. It's a wonderful language, but. It's the functional part, obviously, is a totally different world than the object-oriented uh, part. So right. if you come from Ruby and you see a Elixir code, you, you, you think, okay, I, I understand that. That's, that's, yeah, that looks nice. So I, I understand it, but you really don't. Um, and the whole functional thing uh, took me quite some time to, um, to grasp. Um, right. So, yeah. But it, it really pays off. Yeah, there are definite benefits to Elixir. And there are definite trade-offs as well. Because, yeah, you know, some of the approachability isn't there until you understand some pretty deep yeah. topics. So, but. So, sorry, I didn't, I didn't answer your question. Um, I just uh, remember. Um, so I'm not sure if... Um, well, let me put it that, like that. If somebody comes from an object-oriented background, like Ruby... I think it's hard to learn Elixir. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but just hard, not impossible. It's just it, it, it just a, um, a steeper learning curve. Um, I've heard many people saying that if you don't know any programming language before, then it's the same amount of work. Hmm. I, I don't know that, but I, 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 see, I see the argument. Um, so maybe for new people, it doesn't matter which one they learn. Right. Maybe. Yeah, definitely something to think about. So once you learned uh, Ruby and Rails, I want to just kind of come back to this. Um, what have you done in Ruby on Rails? Like, are there particular projects or um, open source contributions or conference talks or trainings that you have done that you're particularly proud of that you think you did a really great job on or that you really enjoyed working on? I did... Um, I, again, I'm I'm um, into performance. So um, I did one uh, talk at uh, RailsConf. Um, I don't know the, the URL, but probably you can uh, Google it and maybe include it in the in the in the notes. Um, where I did a um, talk about uh, caching and the whole stack of caching, like fragment caching, uh, HTTP caching, uh, etc. And that was, um, I, I still get um, questions about that. Um, and that's like um, five years ago. Um, so uh, caching is kind of my thing with, with Rails. Um, I did a couple of open source projects. Um, but funny enough, my newest open source project is again an Elixir one. So um, I, pref I, I try to use Rails because again, bigger community. Um, but sometimes um, you need the most amount of performance possible. And then um, I use Phoenix. Awesome. So at this point, if you had to start a new project, would you start it in Phoenix or would you start it in Rails? Depending on the project. It's, 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 um, again, it's, it's uh, both broken languages and both frameworks are fine. Um, Ruby and Rails is more mature. The uh, community is way bigger. So many more gems. Right. But with that, a lot of gems are just trouble. So um, the gem discussion—that's that's a that's a different topic. Um, but if performance is not an issue, um, I probably would go for Ruby and Rails. Uh, simply because of the bigger community, it's easier to find people for it, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my, my, my clients ask me that question many times, and I always ask them, okay, what do your people know right now? How, what, what does your team use? And most times it's Ruby, and then I say, then stick with Ruby. If your team knows Ruby and is good with that, uh, then that's probably for you uh, the better decision. I don't know if you're like me, but when I have a new idea, I probably spend an hour looking for a domain that communicates the right thing to the right people so that they know what I'm about. And that's why I picked up as a sponsor the .tech domains, and you should definitely check them out. There's never been a domain that's helped represent the tech community so well. And getting a domain that's relevant to your brand, that helps encapsulate the ethos of what you're doing is just, it's hard. And the .coms a lot of times are taken up and so having a .tech is really, really awesome. 
Now, I have actually picked up devchat.tech. Um, we have a lot of SEO behind devchat.tv, so it probably won't switch, but I wanted that out there so that people can pick it up and know that DevChat is about tech. And, and I just, I love the idea. So using a .tech domain was an awesome solution for us. It's short, it's relevant to what we do, and it just sticks in people's head. It's a natural fit for anything technology. So if you're a programmer, if you're working on a tech startup or an open source library or things like that, it's definitely a great way to go. In fact, a lot of other companies have actually been moving over to .tech. So CES, which is a conference that I go to every year, and uh, go check out all the new technology. They switched over to ces.tech from cesweb.org. Uh, Viacom has viacom.tech to host their tech division. Intel chose insight.tech for their latest initiative. And startups on a tech domain have raised more than a billion dollars on a .tech domain. So if you want your own .tech domain, go to go.tech slash MRS and use the coupon code MRS.tech and get a one-year tech domain at $9.99 and a five-year .tech domain at $49.99. Now, if you use this coupon code to get a .tech domain, tweet at me at cmaxw and let me know what .tech domain you got so that I can shout it out on Twitter. Uh, I'd really love to see what you're doing with this and I think it's just a great product. So go check it out at go.tech slash MRS and get this deal today. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes you, you, you need performance. Uh, and sometimes you cannot buy that performance by um, buying more uh, AWS instances, or etc. Um, and then you 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 have to use Phoenix or you have to use Elixir. There's no way around that because it's like, in my experience, it's like ten times faster than than, than Rails um, without any additional optimization, just out of the box. Um, but normally, performance is not the main point uh, norm, most companies at the end of the day don't care about performance they they say so but they don't yeah um that, that's been my experience as well they care about performance as in per performance better not drive away my customers <laughs> but yeah, other than yeah. that yeah i i agree and uh, my friend eric berry who's on ruby rogues um he's running a company called code fund, which is a really cool company that people should go check out. But um, especially if you do open source and you want to, you know, get a little bit of money for your effort. Uh, but anyway, uh, they wrote their first version in rails and then um, he caught the bug and rewrote it in Elixir. And then they got to a certain point and went back and rewrote it again in rails. And the reason was, was that they could move faster in rails and yep. it turned out that they didn't need the performance characteristics of Elixir. And so, yep. yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, discussion. Yeah, so what are you working on these days? My current favorite open source project is Vutuv. V-U-T-U-V dot D-E. It's, um, believe it or not, it's an open source alternative to LinkedIn. Um, it's a classic David against Goliath project. Interesting. Yeah, we'll put yeah. a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, we, right now we are um, coding on a on a uh, version 2.0. Um, we right now we have a little bit over 20,000 members, and um, GUI wise, there's a lot of room for improvement. So we um, again we we just started with a 2.0 version, nicer GUI. Um, more features um, it's 
yeah, um, I hope that we get that online within the next, I want to say three months, but who knows? Um, because uh, the first version is uh, became a little bit boring um, feature-wise and GUI-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's a normal way of, of doing that. I, I wasn't sure that um, people use it um, anyway in the first place. So um, uh, right now I'm, I see the potential and the growth is, is there. Um, I don't have any big VC money, so um, I have to um, find ways to um, do that uh, with a team um, who uh, work for it. But right. um, that's my yeah, that's my current um, project, which I hope will become bigger. Makes sense. Um, so you actually own this? Is not a freelance project? No, that's my own project. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Um, and what's the stack you're using on this? That's Phoenix. This Phoenix? Um, yeah, it's Phoenix. And it's just for speed. Right. Uh, we could do the, I, I actually did have a version with Rails. Uh-huh. I don't know if it, uh, I, I want to say it, it was the first version, uh, like, um, like the proof of concept version for me, which I did in Rails because um, it was just faster to develop in Rails. Um, but then I realized that um, I would run into performance issues because um, one of the, um, um, the features of YouTube is uh, that it is really fast. Um, and everybody who's using LinkedIn or any other business network, um, many people see the, the, the performance problem there, uh, especially um, in countries uh, where internet connection is not that, um, you know, not, not everybody has fiber at home. So um, for them, uh, LinkedIn is very, very slow to use and uh, Bluetooth isn't. Um, but part of that solution is uh, using a very fast uh, backend uh, and Phoenix right. just uh, give that power. Are you, do you have a front-end framework of any kind on it? or? No, 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 no. no. So um, it's all server-rendered? It's, uh, it's all server-rendered. Um, again, performance was the main issue. Um, because, uh, like, probably everybody who's listening to this podcast knows that uh, LinkedIn is using uh, Ember.js, um, mm-hmm. and they are doing a great job with that. And and I really do like the Ember community. Ember is a great framework, but um, compared to Bluetooth, it is very slow. Um, mm-hmm. And that just that's their decision, and that's I understand that decision. But I'm going a different way. I'm saying, right. okay, less features, but more speed. Um, so that's that's a, that's the reason why we do everything on the server. And um, as a nice side effect, um, in very ma- in many development countries, people use Bluetooth uh, simply because their feature phones don't work with uh, LinkedIn. Interesting. That's cool. So is it just you or do you have other people working on it with you? Uh, currently, we are working with three people. It's an open source project. So um, have a look at, the, at our GitHub repository, see what everybody does. Um, and everybody who's listening and is interesting and in, in, in participating, you're more than welcome. Um, and yeah, have a look and um, help us. Cool. Uh, well, yeah. 
Um, where's signing the, up? Uh, signing, signing, signing up is the first step of having us. Right. Makes sense. Well, we, we do have a few listeners of the show, so yeah. All right. Anything else that you're working on that you want to talk about or should we go to picks? Um, no, obviously rate 6.0 is, um, is going to be a big topic this year. So I'm not sure if I'm going to update my um, current rates book um, because I changed publishers and um, I haven't made up my mind about that yet. Um, but 6.0 will be a big topic this year. Um, and it is, for me, after all those time, it is incredible to see how mature rates became. Um, it's such a fantastic framework to work with. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it, it still blows my mind away. Um, so that's it, yeah. And, nice. Um, is it the uh, A Press book, Learn Rails 5.2? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the one. Um, did that answer the, the question or? Yeah. Did I miss anything? Yeah. Okay. Picks. Let me see. I have one other podcast which I really like. Probably everybody knows it already, but I'm saying it again. Darknet Diaries. That's my favorite tech pod- podcast. What's it called? Darknet Diaries. Darknet Diaries. I've never heard you, of that one. You, you don't know Darknet Diaries? Ah, nope. It's, you really have to listen to that. It's, it's a great podcast. Um, yeah. Nice. I'm looking it up right now. So uh, I'll go ahead and throw a couple of podcasts out for people. Now, uh, I, I tend to kind of shy away a little bit from politics on these shows just because um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to fight with people over their politics because mostly I don't care um, what, you know, what other people think about politics. So I'm not going to pick any of those. I do listen to a couple of, uh, uh, I guess you would call them right-wing media politics um, uh, podcasts, but there are a few other ones that I listen to that I really, really love. Um, and uh, one or two of them might surprise you a little bit. So the, the two that I listen to the most, um, besides our own, of course, are the Gary V audio experience. This is Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, just because I, I kind of work in the space where I'm constantly talking to people and reaching out to people and trying to get people's attention. And uh, he really does a good job of kind of outlining where things are at. Um, and then the other one's called the MF CEO project. And that one's by a guy named Andy Frazella. And uh, his is kind of the, the audio kick in the pants that I need to get crap done. Um, and, and I really, really enjoy both of those. And then I recently picked one up and this is the one that might surprise people and might actually be something that you all will enjoy. Um, there's an audio, they call them audio dramas and basically they're um, highly produced storytelling with like sound effects and stuff. And so it's almost like uh, the old time radio programs like uh, what was it? The, the Lone Ranger or things like that. If, if you watch a, a Christmas story, um, <clears throat> when it's time for them to listen to the radio, they like go and sit by the yeah. radio and listen to the Lone Ranger. Because uh, they and didn't have. What, what, what was the story. name again of that podcast? It's this one's called We're Alive, and uh, the the 
subtitle is a zombie story of survival. So it's kind of like walking dead. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, anyway, the, the audio is really fun to listen to. And, um, rather than tell you, they walked into the blah, 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 you know, you hear them talking about, okay, well, let's go into this building, you know, and then you hear them walk up the stairs and, uh, you know, open a door and, you know, they're, they're shooting at zombies. And anyway, it's, it's pretty great. Um, there are a couple other ones that I want to check out. I ran into these at PodFest a couple weeks ago. Um, and so I describe, I subscribed to two more, but I haven't listened to these yet, but I'm going to pick them anyway. One is called Girl in Space. Um, and the last episode of that was released right after Christmas. So uh, that one's a relatively recently produced one. Um, and then the other one is Dungeons and, and Doritos. And it's essentially uh, an audio drama. Again, these are all audio dramas, um, except this one is kind of produced around a bunch of folks that play Dungeons and Dragons. And so it's basically built around their role play, but they, you know, they weave in all of the um, audio effects and things like that. So anyway, if you're interested in any of those, you can check them out. I'll put links to all of them in the show notes. Um, but yeah, um, I, I've been digging those. And that's kind of my full list besides the shows that we produce and the political ones uh, like Glenn Becker, Sean Hannity that I listen to. So um, so just, just out of curiosity, uh, how much time do you invest listening to podcasts? Um, that's a good question. I probably listen to podcasts an hour or so every day. Um, and it, it's usually when I'm, you know, out running errands or cleaning up my office or things like that. So um, I recently rearranged my office, which means that the whole place kind of explodes into a giant mess, and then I put it back together. Um, and so that's taken me hours and hours. And so when I'm doing that, I have a really nice speaker. It's the JBL Charge 4. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but it's a Bluetooth speaker, and so I just connect my phone to it. I'll play the podcast on there at 2x speed, and um, and I'll get stuff done. And so, yeah, so I, I listen to those or, yeah, like I said, if I'm driving somewhere. So when I drive my kids to school, a lot of times I'll be listening to a podcast and they'll be listening to the radio. Just so stuff like that. Um, when I drive down to Las Vegas this weekend, I'll get a lot of time in. The way that I listen to, so I listen to the ones that I'm current on, which are usually the political ones and uh, the ones that DevChat produces, but I don't listen to all the ones that we produce. Um, I kind of spot check them to make sure that things are, you know, going the way that they need to, but our, our editors are terrific and our show notes people are really great. So, you know, it's, it's mostly just to catch the odd thing. That's like, Oh, that's not exactly what I wanted. It's just, you know, it's close. Um, about the political podcast. I, I'm, I'm curious. Um, do you get any new information from these or is it like the Twitter um, echo chamber? Uh, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking me there. Um, like if, if you're listening to a political podcast, um, do you get any new ideas, thoughts, or is it like more like the echo chamber, uh, where you, where you, where you listen to the stuff and you just nod and say, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, it's interesting because. Yeah, we do have a few minutes to talk about this, and I think it's interesting to the listener as well. So I have listened to, um, I tend to lean, in the U.S., I tend to lean more toward the right. So I'm, uh, 
I hate the word conservative, but that's what people would probably peg me as. Um, and so when I listen to the shows, I typically listen to like Sean Hannity, uh, Glenn Beck and Ben Shapiro are the ones that I, I tend to like. And I don't listen to all of all of them, but I listen to a lot of them. Um, so what what they do is they tend to talk about things that are in the news. And OK. And so, you know, to that extent, like um, there's, you know, if there's something interesting out there going on. Yeah. You know, that that's new. But a lot of the principles that um, the kind of guide where they're coming from, I agree with. Not always, though. And that's always interesting because, you know, where I, where I have a difference of opinion with one of them, and they don't always agree either, right? Um, mm-hmm. but, but when I have a difference of opinion with them, it's, it's kind of interesting for me to kind of explore, okay, so, you know, what's different in what I believe from what they believe? And, you know, and, and why does that color my opinion this way or that way? And so it, it does cause me to think about these things. I, I've also listened off and on for a long time to Pod Save America, which is a podcast from the other side of the political spectrum. Um, and, and that was always nice to have them challenge my thinking as well. Um, you know, and sometimes it would tick me off the way that they were describing things because, you know, I either didn't agree with it or knew that they were deliberately omitting things. But I think that happens on both sides. So... Anyway, it, for me, it's just an interesting mental exercise. It's like, okay, you know, what do I actually think? What do I actually believe? And, you know, is that, yep. is that a correct way of thinking about it? So, okay. Yeah. Thank you. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it, it does. It does. Um, I don't listen to any political podcast at all. So I, I just, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the reason why I'm asking. Um, but uh, that, that's uh, good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. This Darknet Diaries looks really interesting too. I pulled up the webpage and I'm like, oh, wow. You, you, you're going to love it. It, it is a, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a very good produced and good stories, et cetera, et cetera. You're really going to love it. Nice. All right. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. But before I do, uh, Stefan, where do people find you online? Uh, if you use Twitter, my Twitter handle is Wintermeyer, W-I-N-T-E-R-M-E-Y-E-R. Otherwise, just Google for Stefan Wintermeyer and um, you'll find me. All right. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming and talking to me for a half hour. Um, thank you for having me. All right. Well, we will uh, put this one up and we will come back with another story next week, folks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.